Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Travel is one of the best things you can do with your time, right? And your life and, and your income. Um, and I've always, I've always thought that. I've always loved to travel. I've always known that. Um, but oftentimes, right, in the media especially on TikTok, right? You, you see these videos of Bali, of, um, you know, Mexico city of, of 10 places to go over the weekend, um, catching flights, not feelings. And that's a big part, especially of, of the dialogue back home in the States is, you know, you save all year to go to this exotic destination and it's great. Right. But, um, it's not the only way to travel activism where you're putting your, your body in front of the government it's not for everyone, right? And that's okay. There's plenty of people we've met along the way who are doing incredible things for the climate crisis, who are coming more from the engineering point of view or the nature protection point of view. Everyone has a role to play. You don't have to do everything, but it's great if everyone does something. That is Megan Routbort. She's our guest today. And one half of a French-American duo of travelers on a low-carbon mission to tell stories of climate hope from all continents. And this is one of those passion mission situations, I'd call it, when somebody finds a way to take their interests, and in this case, even bring in a good cause and combine it with a travel adventure. And they've certainly done that. You can learn more about their journey over at thegreenjourney.org. We have a wide-ranging conversation. It was really cool to hear how they have embarked on some styles of travel that uh, Megan, at least personally, had never done before, like hitchhiking and biking across multiple countries. And I love when people push themselves out of their comfort zones to try new ways of travel. And there's a big reason for that. She actually mentions it in this interview. It's what she refers to as perhaps the most powerful motivator for going on any travel adventure and you should listen because this can be your superpower as well i'll share some thoughts about that later in the show and you're going to get plenty more of the stories along the way of this crazy adventure through 20 european countries so far by train bike hitchhiking and bus get ready to not only be inspired but to get some ways to think about your next trip perhaps let's get into it shall we buckle up strap in thanks for being here and Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, it's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Thank you so much for being here. And if you haven't gotten in touch, I always invite you to do that. This is a two-way conversation. This is a community, after all. You can always email me, jason at zerototravel.com is my email, and I have a voicemail box in all the show notes where you can just click and leave me a message. Would love to hear from you. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter to keep in touch. It's free, zerototravel.com slash newsletter, always available for you over there. So sign up if you haven't joined the community off the podcast. Today, I'm so excited to share the story of the green journey. I love what this couple is doing, and 
what are the big things they're really promoting here? Just from, uh, let's say, a normal travel perspective, maybe all of us won't mash our passions and go on a big adventure for a cause. Although, you know, hearing that story is really motivating. And perhaps after hearing the story today, maybe you will do just that. Who knows? But I think one of the big takeaways that all of us can do is just slow down our travels a bit. Slow travel, any way you cut it, seems to be a big trend. I was doing a bit of research and trying to find some studies on it. There isn't a lot out there. There have been studies that are showing slow travel is a trend. But if you're traveling and you look around, you can kind of see people are slowing down a bit. And this benefits us in a lot of ways. Obviously, it gives us more time to get familiar with cultures and local communities and meet people while we're traveling, the actual travel experience. But of course, you can be beneficial to the climate as well. It has a more of a positive impact. Perhaps we're not flying around to go to 10 or 12 different countries on a, you know, a three or six months month adventure. Perhaps you're taking a train or a bus or biking or hitchhiking like the couple that I speak with today or one half of the couple that I speak with today. And there are all these ways to do it. So yeah, just some things to think about as we go into this conversation. I'm wondering with your travels, what does that look like? Are you are you slowing down? Are you speeding up? What does the next trip look like? What has been the experience for you? I've traveled super fast and flown around and done the crazy, I want to see everything things. And I've also done really slow travel and I see the value in both. Uh, but of course, you know, not not getting preachy here at all. But, you know, the climate change is, of course, affect, affecting all of us. And I thought before we dive in, this is a good story that illustrates the benefits of slow travel and perhaps something to consider for a future trip for everybody here. So that's it. That's all I have. <laughs> Stick around on the back end. I'll share some thoughts on the interview and this idea of the most powerful motivator for going on any sized adventure. Please enjoy my chat with Megan and I'll see you on the other side. I should give you a quick introduction. Megan, you are one half of the duo over at thegreenjourney.org. And you guys are on a mission to travel to climate hotspots on every continent to document solutions to the climate crisis by meeting with climate warriors and sharing stories of real action and radical hope. So I want to just say, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, Megan. Thank you. Excited to be here. Super excited to have you. Yeah, this is uh, quite a trip you guys are on. I mean, you could have just save some money and went on the old traditional, you know, backpacking journey or whatever. There's a lot of different options to you. Why is this such a close to your heart? I mean, I think it's close to all of our hearts at this point, but to the point where you're actually building your life for several years around uh, exploring <laughs> climate change and solutions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of a, a long story of how we got there. But before well, we've got time. Yeah, we've got, we've time. got time, Megan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so before hitting the road, um, you know, I was working for four years in strategy consulting and one hundred percent of my career was dedicated to climate change. I was working every day on solar, on wind, um, renewables, right? Which is a really big part of of the conversation. Um, but you know, as I was doing this, I sort of realized this is just one piece of the puzzle. Um, and there's so much more to learn. And I sort of almost found myself in this really focused area. And I said, wait, but you know, we can decarbonize the grid, right? But there's still all these other solutions that are out there. Um, and at the same time, right, always loved to travel, had done a long distance backpacking trip on the JMT because, you know, being a Californian, um, it's like a, a typical California dream. So that's kind of where I got the taste. And from there, we sort of built the project to say, how can we combine this focus on climate change with the desire to travel and meet people? Um, but I guess at the, at the same time, having been in strategy consulting, right, we're, we're flying a lot and kind of looking for a way to, to meet people and tell stories, but with, with a much smaller carbon footprint than um, is traditional, I guess, in the consulting industry. You mentioned the term decarbonize the grid. Can you just decipher that term for us? Yeah. So a big part of um, what we're trying to do, right, when we're thinking about the energy transition 
is move from fossil fuels to renewable fuels. And right now, a lot of the grid, especially in the the states and kind of a lot of the the global north countries, um, it still has quite a percentage of um, coal, natural gas that is fueling the transport infrastructure. So you can be on a train, right? But it, it and it's might still be powered by diesel. But if we're talking about installing renewables, installing solar and wind, and these become the 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 sources of electricity that are powering the grid, that's what I was really focusing on. Okay. How do you feel about nuclear energy? Oh, that's a good question. You know, we get that one a lot. Um, I think it's too early to tell where it's going to go, right? And I wouldn't put all of my my eggs in that basket. Um, but I think it could be an important part of the solution. And it's something that especially as we travel, we realize that there's no one solution to climate change. And that's really what what the green journey is about. It's going to take many different approaches to kind of solve the full puzzle. So that's that's kind of what we decided to look at. And yeah, I mean, I'm excited to hear some of the stories and some of the actual solutions happening on the ground because I know you guys have not just been, you know, this is just outlining the trip. You've actually been on this trip. You've been meeting people and having these conversations. And this is part of sharing these stories, right? I'm glad that you're coming here to, to do this right now so we can talk about this important topic, which is very complex, right? <laughs> like it's a, it's a very complicated thing. I mean, it's kind of a threefold thing, right? Like you said, you, you love travel. So you're like, all right, well, we want to travel. You're passionate about this cause, as we all should be, and you're also building your foundation around it. So you're really combining the passions in a way that you still get to have these crazy adventures. And I would say even more adventurous than the standard trip because you guys are not, everything's kind of human powered, right? So that means you have to hitchhike, you have to ride bikes, you have to sail. There's all these different modes of transportation. I guess. I have questions about that and kind of how that experience has been for you, but can we just, can you just give us the overview of the trip so people understand the scope of it and then where you're at right now and how far into it you are? Yeah, for sure. So the Green Journey is a three-year project to travel to all the continents and do 10 climate hotspots per continent. Climate hotspots are the places that are the most important in the fight against um, climate change and the climate crisis. And it's going to be a pretty long trip um, because, you know, when you're human powered, as you said, you can't go so quickly, right? So each continent has about six months is is what we're budgeting. Right now, we're just at the end of the European adventure. So in Europe, over four months, we've done 20 countries. We've gone 20,000 kilometers um, and we've met with 10 climate hotspots with a bonus 11 coming up in Amsterdam soon, but um, okay. we're, we're closing the chapter. Amazing. Had you ever traveled by bike or hitchhiked before this trip? No, <laughs> not before, not before this trip. <laughs> Tell me about your first time hitchhiking. How did that feel? Oh my gosh. Um, it was, I mean, it was scary, right? And it was kind of like, really built up in my head. Um, cause we, we talked well, about, cause you know, we come from America. So, you know, we talk <laughs> yeah. about hitchhiking and it's like the next word usually people use is murder. <laughs> yeah, no, ex- ex- exactly. Right. And then I've got my, my, my co-founder Polo is he'd hitchhiked and he's like, Oh, it's fine. It's, it's fun. You know, you can take a nap in the car. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm staying awake. So Polo is French, right. And mm-hmm. you know, he's got the French accent. So Sometimes when people say things in an accent like that, it just seems less, da- you know, it's oh, less yeah. scary. <laughs> oh, oh, you'd be fine. You'd be fine. It's like, okay. Oh, yeah. Your accent's Ex- making it fine. <laughs> exactly. 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 Um, but so, I mean, I had really built this up in my head and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to try it. Right. Because, you know, if it doesn't work, there's, there's other options and, you know, there's not guns in Europe, right. In the same way that you might have them in other places. Um, so I built it up in my head. It was like the big day. And, and we left from Nantes in France, which was the starting point of the whole trip. Zero kilometers traveled. We Is had that where hitchhike. he's from? Is that yeah, why you started it's, there? It's okay. where he's from. Um, yeah. And so we we had our hitchhiking signs. We were ready to go. His mom dropped us off at like the, the best hitchhiking spot in the city. Um, and we, we were His really mom knew the best <laughs> hitchhiking spot in the city. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's, she's been, she's been dropping him and, and some of his friends off at this spot for a couple of years. Um, but you know, so it's just, and it's, it's a beautiful day. The, the sun is shining, right. And we've got our signs ready 
and like, this is the, the beginning of something you've planned for three years. And we waited for two hours to even just get out of the city. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we're going to have to call his mom to take us back home at the end of the day. Cause we're not gonna, <laughs> we're not going to make it out. But so after two hours, um, a man drove by, picked us up and we were on our way. You were off and running. Are you guys, I'm guessing you were a couple, but I don't know. I don't want to make any assumptions. Yeah, we, we are. And we actually met on Zoom um, during the pandemic at our previous jobs. So it was, it was kind of a good birth story, I think, of, um, you know, we're sitting behind the laptop all day just dreaming of adventures, right? Um, so, so good origin story there. How romantic. (laughs) Well, I guess you guys, you're, you know, in a way you're also committing to at least three years of this relationship, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I will say, um, you know, because we sort of got together during COVID, we, we dove right in with traveling from like day one. Um, you know, we moved to Hawaii and lived with a group in Hawaii for six months, right. Which is one of the things that sort of whetted our taste for travel within like the first month of our relationship. We did a two week uh, road trip in California. So we, I think at this point, if, if something was going to go wrong, it it would have (laughs) already. Well, I mean, that's kind of par for the course with international relationships, right? There's not really much middle ground when you live thousands of miles away. You just kind of have to take trips together and dive in and be together (laughs) all the time. And, you know, for better or worse, I mean, it does accelerate the timeline of the relationship, I think, right? There's no uh, casual dating, yeah, <laughs> so far apart. And you guys met on Zoom. That's cool. You advanced me a little bit of info over and you said that um, you spent some time in Houston, Texas. Did you grow up in California or did or were you? I, I grew up a little bit all over. Um, okay. So North Carolina, Houston, California, Virginia, lived in a, a bunch of different places. Um, but good part of my adolescence I spent in Houston. Okay. Why all over? Were you, was it parents? Just parents moving around and like, um, you know, where I got a scholarship to go to college and then, um, always had a bit of the, the nomad in me. So as soon as kind of remote work started with COVID, I took full advantage of that, lived in Idaho for a couple of months. Um, really hit, hit the road during COVID actually, and kind of have been on it since the the green journey is just the next chapter. When it comes to being the change, which I admire what you guys are doing. It's not like you're like, well, what, you know, the climate's going to hell. Like, oh, well, you know, I guess I'll just, you know, we do what we can at at home as individuals, but I love that. Okay. You're like, I'm going to, we're going to, we want to travel. We want to go see the world and do, and have these adventures. So how can we incorporate this and actually find real solutions and bring them to light so others around the world can learn from uh, what other people are doing and perhaps implement. I would guess, is that the biggest hope for the project? I'm going to start there first before I ask this other question, but is the biggest hope that you actually share these stories and some of these tactics actually get implemented in other locations? Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. And I think um, the, the big thing about climate storytelling, right, and, and climate narratives is they really focus a lot of the times on on the bad news, right? And especially if you were looking at the news this summer, like especially when it comes to tourism, right? You you see the stories of the wildfires and of the floods. And I think Greece is this perfect example. Um, you'll see where I'm going with this in a minute. But if I were to to tell you, what do you think of when you think of the news from Greece this summer and Greece and climate change? What would you say? I guess I would say that there were a ton of fires and a lot of tourists ended up having to vacate the hotels and walk to other places. I'm not quite sure exactly what happened, but I know there was, that was basically the media. Yeah, exactly. And, and all summer, the, the media story from Greece was focused on these horrible events that happened. Um, but actually, did you know that Greece has almost 46% of their grid comes from renewable energy? And this is more than we have in the United States. It's more than we have in France. And so they, it's this country, right, that is really at the forefront of the climate crisis. And everyone is always telling the stories of the bad things that are happening to, to the people who live there and the tourists who go there. But at the same time, there's these incredible examples of adaptation and change that don't get talked about, right? And so it's really bringing those stories to light that we're focused on. Yeah, okay. That's a great example. I think it's, you know, with that specific example, you can... As a, an individual human, 
Well, first of all, yeah, like you said, the media, they, they want their clicks and they want their views. So, of course, the more sensational, the better in many regards. But there are also aspects of reporting the news and that that was a thing that happened, right? But it's a lot easier to put yourself in, in an individual's shoes in that situation as opposed to the grid's shoes when you're talking about 46% of the grid. You know, I think that's where the disconnect is, is these big systemic solutions. They need the human stories behind them in order to to accelerate the change, I think. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly it, right? And um, as we travel, right, actually, if you go to these eco-villages in, in Greece, or if you go to a place to see where the renewable grid is, is taking place, and you it was in Albania, for example, where we went to a village that was um, on the Viosa River. And they had, it was a 200-person village, and they had installed solar to, to power this whole village, right? And it was really remote. Biking there was an absolute show. Um, but you actually see, right, how, how people are putting energy into their own hands in these regions. And that is what's really inspiring. And we want to keep sharing, right? Because there are so many other places in the world where you can put solar on your house, right? Or you can kind of look at, into, it, it depends on where you are, right? But you can look into doing a microgrid for, for your village and it can really improve and, and change quality of life. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why. We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. A lot of these issues are very localized as well, even though if they're put onto a grand scale, obviously if, if all of these local communities do this at mass, then... You have big change, but I'm just thinking specifically of my the area where my wife grew up, and you know, on the surface, you can say, "Well, all right, the tops of these mountains are windy, so of course, add these wind turbines, and then you're going to have this clean energy." But the local community, they don't want to install them and look at them on the mount on certain mountains and things like that because that's part of the nature, and Norwegians are very sensitive when it comes to adding anything into their nature. So there's this balance between that and fulfilling the energy needs of the people. It's complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think at, at the same time, right, that's one of the, the reasons that this trip that we're on is so cool because you can see, okay, here's a solution, right? And it works really well in this one place. It might not work as well in this other, 
but then you create this kind of roadmap, right? And, and you can pick and choose what, what you want to focus on or what would work for your community, depending on these traits. It's an a la carte menu for climate action. Exactly. <laughs> Love it. The question I was going to ask you before is around earning a living, because I think uh, when people entertain the idea of starting a nonprofit like you guys have or doing a project like this, that's in one of the inevitable questions is, well, you know, this is, we want to do good for the planet or we want to do good for animals or whatever your cause is, but we also have to pay our bills and earn a living. And I was just wondering how you guys wrestled with that. If you wrestled with it at all, what kind of the conclusions are, are you earning income on the side? I'm just curious for anybody listening who might be inspired by this chat to go be the change in their own uh, corner of the world or whatever. I was just looking for, yeah, kind of your journey with that and maybe some advice around, around it. Yeah. So, um, I think this, this is kind of funny, right? Because whenever I tell people I'm planning on traveling for three years, they say, holy like crap, you must've saved so much money. How are you going to afford it? That costs 50 K a year. Um, and, and tip one, right. Is, um, traveling doesn't have to be that expensive, and you can kind of see now I'm in my couch surf hosting, couch surfing host house. Hitchhiking is free. Bike packing can be pretty low budget if you're doing it with a not the fanciest bike. So the first part of the equation for me was really saying, okay, you know, I don't have the same lifestyle expectation that when I'm on the road that I would living out in San Francisco, right? And let me tell you, a month on the road, even in Europe, which is kind of one of the more expensive parts of the trip is much cheaper than a month living in, in San Francisco or Washington, D.C. So, so that's kind of one part. Um, but the second part, I mean, I think is, is being able to side hustle, right, as we go. And so we do some freelance articles for the non- and that's for, for personal income. Um, for the nonprofit, we are applying to some types of grants, right, to help support the storytelling. Um, but for us, I think the biggest part of preparing was saving money while working and just saying, okay, we're going to really scrimp and save and, and live on the minimal budget while we're on the road. Yeah. Okay. So you're supplementing it with some side stuff and yeah, it sounds like you guys, I'm sure it was discussed and I think it's really cool that you're so dedicated to getting the stories out there. One of the things you sent over, I'll quote it. You said, we want low carbon, slow travel to become more sexy than boarding a plane for a week in Bali. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, look, travel is one of the best things you can do with your time, right? And your life and, and your income. Um, and I've always, I've always thought that. I've always loved to travel. I've always known that. Um, but oftentimes, right, in the media, especially on TikTok, right, you, you see these videos of Bali, of, um, you know, Mexico City, of, of 10 places to go over the weekend, um, catching flights, not feelings. And that's a big part, especially of, of the dialogue back home in the States is, you know, you save all year to go to this exotic destination and it's great. Right. But, um, it's not the only way to travel. And what is really fun, you know, is, is hitchhiking is, is bike packing is having these sort of unexpected experiences that are so rare, right. In, in today's world. And I think, um, the thing about, you know, boarding a plane and going to Bali, if you've been looking at it on TikTok for the last year before your trip, there's not as much that's unexpected about that, right? But um, if you're in the middle of nowhere in, in Finland, it might not be as beautiful as a pristine beach, but you're sure as heck going to have some unexpected experiences that TikTok can't prepare you for. <laughs> nice. What were some of those unexpected experiences for you guys so far? Oh my gosh. Um, that stand out. Yeah. Great question. So, uh, I think there was one where we were just at the border of Poland and we were planning to hitchhike to Estonia and we budgeted. At this a, point, are you like yeah. a seasoned hitchhiking <laughs> veteran? You're just like, <laughs> you started off with like, we're going to have to have your mom pick us up to like, Hey, <laughs> you know, yeah, just, yeah, no. <laughs> and I mean, that's, that's kind of the fun thing is that, um, you, you ramp up to the hitchhiking pretty quickly, right? Once you, you get over that initial hump. But so we were hitchhiking at the border of Poland and we're like, okay, like, let's, let's see how this goes. 
Um, you know, we've had some good luck so far. We, we're feeling pretty strong underneath our, 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 our thumbs are feeling well used, right? I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, and we're, we're going to go through the Baltic states and we just get stuck at this one gas station and we are looking for a ride for hours and we can't really communicate that well because Polish, you, you can't fake your way through Polish, I think is, is a big thing. Uh, you can fake your way a little bit with French, with, with Spanish, but you can't fake Polish. <laughs> um, and so we're totally stuck. And then all of a sudden, I see these two guys, Finland license plates, um, and they've got a big like 50-foot trailer like behind them, right? And I'm kind of thinking in my head, um, Finnish license plates, that's a, that could be a gold mine, right? Because if, if you're, you're thinking about going north, that, that could be a, a rocket ship, right? <laughs> so we go up, talk to them. Um, these guys are... And what do you say? <laughs> what, what's, your, what's your spiel? <laughs> um, I mean, it, it depends on the, the, the person, right? But um, I, I think I went up and I said something like, you know, me and my partner, we've been stuck here for a while, right? So a little bit of kind of like the, you could be our, our help. Um, we're looking for a ride to just go north. Like any chance you guys are, are going that way. And a big smile. You always have to have a, a big smile. And they are going all the way to Helsinki. And one of them says, well, let me ask the other guy because he's the big boss. So he goes and he asks. And he says, come right in. We ride with these guys for 10 hours. And I don't think we had a single moment of silence, like not a single moment of awkward silence, right? We were talking the whole time. Um, and that night they had only been planning to go, you know, just up to Latvia, but the conversation was flowing so well. They, they were really vibing with us and they'd also been road tripping together for, I think, four days straight before picking us up. Um, so they were a little bit excited, I think, to have some new voices in the car. So they ended up giving us a straight on ride to, to Estonia, to Tallinn, our next destination, paying for us to be in a hotel that night is just an incredible moment of of sharing between cultures and making some really unexpected friends. Wow. I had done a shorter hitchhiking type of trip uh, that was, there was a bit of a cause around it. And I, it was just, it made it, I think people really like to get involved in helping with something. You know, when you tell the story, this goes back to like why stories matter so much. Right. I mean, that's the, at the heart of what you guys are doing. We may think, well, you're just having these conversations to tell stories. Well, yes. I mean, <laughs> stories matter. Yeah. Stories really do matter. And, and these types of conversations really matter too, right? Because these two Finnish guys who picked us up, Passi and Ali were their names. Um, you know, they, they'd had a long life in Finland. Tra they'd traveled not too badly themselves. The, the 50 wide foot trailer that they were trailing was actually a, a glider plane because these guys were like Finnish glider plane national champions. Um, okay. <laughs> so that was kind of randomly. And they were like, do you guys want to go in it? And we're like, maybe. And then we thought a little bit, is it, is it low carbon? And it actually, it is pretty good in terms of like comparing it to a regular plane. I was too afraid of heights. So that wasn't happening for me. <laughs> um, but Anyways, with, with these guys, right, like they've been living in Finland for their whole lives and they've seen the change, right? And they they can tell us stories about how, you know, they are now seeing more people coming to Finland for tourism just to cool off, right? To actually do do a type of tourism to to see some snow, right? And I'm sure you have the same in Norway, right, where you, you see that change happening. And that's, I think, an, it's an important story to, to share, right? And it's, um, you know, everyone has... A climate story to tell, even if you you don't expect it, right? But you you dig under one or two layers of conversation, and it's the, the beauty of hitchhiking. And you know these men who I don't think climate change wasn't the first thing that they were going to talk about in the car, but yeah. ten hours for sure, right? Everyone has that story. Yeah. Why are you guys doing three years? I was curious about that. Why so three it's years? yeah, good good question. Six months per continent, just to oh, yeah, okay. to give it some yeah. time. Um, and then sailing, it, it's not so fast. So I got to spend right. some time on the boat. <laughs> I mean, are these meetings predetermined? Because you can only get to where you're getting so so quickly. You know, you're dependent on, in this case, 
well, the strength of your legs, I guess, if you're biking, how far you can go or hitchhiking, then you're dependent on whoever picks you up. But are you guys arranging meetings? I just had a couple logistical questions. This, this, I hope this isn't boring for people listening, but I'm just curious, you know, (laughs) and I'm also curious about, yeah, how you manage that. And then, well, I mean, I guess this is important too, because if people decide to do the low carbon travel thing, but you know, let's say they're doing it for business or they want to meet friends or whatever. And you know, how, how are you guys managing that? Yeah, for sure. So a good chunk of the meetings are are prearranged, right? Um, and, you know, in order to get to the ones that are prearranged, like we'll take the train sometimes, right? And I would say, especially for your business travelers, right? The train is the best option in terms of if you really want to get somewhere on time, um, that's, that's what to do. Of course, in Europe, it's a little bit easier to do this type of train travel. Um, so if, if we're rushing for a deadline, you know, we, we might take a train. Um, in terms of managing logistics, it's, it's definitely hard, right? And so we, we spend a good chunk of time in front of the laptop, which is always kind of challenging to balance with the, the hitchhiking and the biking. And, you know, it involves maybe dashing into a cafe for a couple hours to get work done, right? Um, so it's, it's not all glamorous. Um, but in terms also of how we decided who we wanted to meet with, we kind of crowdsourced a little bit to get started from our audience, right? So we've got, you know, about 4.5K Instagram followers. And before setting off in Europe, we said, what are some stories in, in Europe that are, are critical to tell? And got some ideas from our network that way and, and arranged it. And we'll do the same thing for each continent to also get local voices, right, to, to chime in on um, what people are, are, are critically thinking about that we might be missing, right? Just reading the normal news. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about, I wanted to hear a couple of your favorite examples so we can share them. I was going to ask you about the one more logistics question with the, you mentioned the bike packing, but then the hitchhiking, but you can't really hitchhike if you have bikes because nobody will pick you up because where they're going to put bikes. So (laughs) how, how are you? Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys, yeah. What did you guys do? So Another goal of the trip, right, is to demonstrate different types of transport, right? So we basically decided we're going to hitchhike Northern Europe and we're going to bikepack Southern Europe. And so we, luckily with, with Polo being French, his grandparents' um, house is kind of, was the terminus of our bikepacking trip. So we left the bikes there and that's where they'll rest until perhaps they cross the Atlantic with us. We'll see. Okay. Are you going to see your family during this three years or what's, do you have rules around that? Are they, are they allowed to fly out and see you or what do you? Yeah. So family can come see us right at, at any point. Um, and you know, we're lucky enough, right. That Polo's family lives all over Europe. They're really quite a family of, of travelers. So we've seen them quite a lot this summer. Next summer we'll see my family more, um, you know, cause we'll be, the next step is the States and, and South America. And then we'll, we'll see, we haven't thought, as far ahead to Asia yet. And how will you be traveling across the states, states and to South America? So in the states, we're going to do the train a bit, and we're going to do some bike packing. Um, we're not going to hitchhike in the states because a little bit sketchier, I think. I mean, people have done it right, but I'm, I've got my hitchhiking like medium level certification. I don't think I have <laughs> ad- advanced yet. Um, so we're going to use the Amtrak and in South America, I think we're going to hitchhike, maybe use some of those long distance buses that they have. Um, but I think it'll be quite fun to show the train as a cross continental solution in the States. Um, I used to take it all the time going up and down the Northeastern corridor, but I've never used it to, to cross the States before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Some of the stories of systemic change, I guess. So what some of the examples are of things that our communities are doing, you mentioned the Albanian community that's, you know, fully solar powered. Well, yeah, what were some of the more compelling stories that you came across that you're excited to share to a broader network? Yeah, for sure. I'll start with my favorite, which was climbing a wind turbine off the coast of Copenhagen. Um, so back in the 2000s, a group of citizens in Denmark got together and they said, we want to build a wind farm off the coast of Copenhagen. And this was at a time where like earlier we're talking about how um, people sometimes don't want wind in Norway because it ruins the scenery. Early 2000s was a time where it was really new, right? 
Um, but a group of citizens got together and they said they wanted this, this wind turbine farm. And there was a neighborhood that said, we don't really want it. Um, but they got together and they kind of advocated in, in Copenhagen to build this farm on the archipelago. It's called Middle Grunden. Um, and what's really special about that one is the citizens put their own money into it, right? So you or me, instead of putting our money in the stock market that year, they actually invested their money to build this wind farm and they get the returns back every year. Um, and this farm has been now operating for 20 years. It's If you've ever been to Copenhagen, you've probably seen it. It's this beautiful kind of archipelago of wind turbines between Denmark and Sweden. It's made a profit for, I think, every year of its existence. And I think my favorite anecdote is that now the people who were um, in the neighborhood where they were kind of against it, real estate agents, when houses come up for sale, will actually put a picture of that wind farm on the flyers because um, it's so iconic, right? Um, and they know that this is an, a neighborhood that benefits from this clean energy. So that was just, I think, one of my, my favorite stories because you don't always think of wind turbines or these big, big pieces of infrastructure, right, as something that you can own a part of as a citizen. Um, but but that's a solution that is used in many places across Denmark and could be brought to, I think, people interested in renewable energy all over the world. That's a good example of how long change can take sometimes, right? It started off as this horrible blemish on the countryside, according to some people, right? And now people are using it as the photo for real estate portfolios or for you know real estate listings or whatever. Are you guys trying to get in front of government officials and things like that? After Are you bringing the, these stories to government at, at a certain point? Or, so know, actually, everywhere we go, we send two postcards. One is to the White House and the other is to, to Emmanuel Macron, um, president of France. And so we think it's kind of a, a nice way to write a letter for climate action, just using a, a postcard. So everywhere we go, we send one of these postcards. Um, we also participate right in, in many different types of events on the road. So just yesterday or two days ago in, in Brussels, we were part of the rise for climate movement in front of the, um, EU, right. Asking for greater climate action it was the March to end fossil fuels worldwide really big in New York, right? We were participating here in Brussels where it was a little smaller that day. Um, but still, we were with hundreds of people asking for for this type of change. Um, so yeah, it's definitely advocacy and asking and petitioning is a big part of what we do. But at the same time, right, joining in cleanups and um, like plastic pollution cleanups and joining in rewilding of forests is is also part of what we do. Because we really try to profile diverse solutions and see that there's many different ways to, to do this. Because, I mean, to be honest, right, activism where you're putting your, your body in front of the government, it's not for everyone, right? And that's okay. There's plenty of people we've met along the way who are doing incredible things for the climate crisis, who are coming more from the engineering point of view or the nature protection point of view. Everyone has a role to play. You don't have to do everything, but it's great if everyone does something. That's a great point, I think, you know, and, and you guys really illustrate that with what you've designed with the project. You're like, well, let's let's do our part, but let's do it in a way that will be fun for us and, and we can, it's aligned with our values, essentially. Really cool. Um, what's been your favorite part of all this so far and what's been the hardest part? Mm, yeah. I think my favorite part has just been the unexpected encounters with, with people along the way. Um, I mean, Greece was a really standout experience, right? Because we were, we were bikepacking through central Greece, right? Um, it wasn't the coast, right? It's, it's not the, the part where people always think of right away. And we were really, on, during our weeks doing that, some of the, the only tourists or, or travelers we we saw around, right? Because everyone was at the coast during that that time. It was August. It was hot. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was just incredible, right? Um, we were there on a big public holiday and we we rolled into this tiny town with our, our bikes full of bikepacking gear. 
and we passed um, you know, a porch a couple times of a family celebrating the holiday. And, you know, we passed them as we went to go get groceries on the way back to our spot where we were staying for the night. Um, we passed them as we were kind of coming back from exploring the town. And then on the last pass through, they invited us, they sat us down, they offered us utsu and beer and um cake, right? And like we already had a huge dinner, but we had to find space for two big pieces of homemade cake. Um, and you know these encounters with people who don't always have like a, especially a cyclist, right. Come, come through their town. And you can talk a little bit about what you're doing. Yes. We know it's August and we're, we're cycling here in the hottest part of the month, but you know, it might be the coldest August we have for a while. Um, those are just the best moments, right. Just the, the moments of being able to share the adventure with others on the way serendipitously. Yeah. And inspiring others and that ripple effect. It's a beautiful thing. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever zero to travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Just based on kind of your research and your experience working around this stuff, which countries would you say are doing the best job at leading the charge? Oof, it's a tough question. Um, I mean, Obviously, Denmark was was really impressive, right? Like in, in terms of how Denmark is doing on renewables, in terms of how they're thinking about circularity, how they're thinking about sustainable design, um, that was really impressive, right? But not every country in Europe and, and certainly not every country that we're going to see down the line has the same type of economic resources and, and citizen engagement and, and this type of thing that, that Denmark has, right? So I think Greece for us was another one where we really felt, you know, you, you can see something happening here, right? Because you can see the renewables in the landscape. Um, you can see how the grid is changing and, and that's really, they're punching above their weight, right? I, I would see. I think, I think that when, when people think of Greece, they sometimes think of the crisis in, in the late 2000s, right? Um, but I mean, Greece is really leading the charge on renewables now, right? And they're they're transitioning to, 100% no no coal, right? No lignite coal. Um, so that that's really impressive. Um, I mean, I think for us, right? And, and this is really what we're seeing is there are, are different ways that each country has something to, to bring to the table. Like there hasn't been a single country where I've said, this is terrible. There's nothing good going on here, right? Um, Albania, there's a ton of trash on the roads, especially in Northern Albania. It's pretty sad to see and, and pretty shocking if you're used to like the, the don't mess with Texas anti-litter campaigns. But at the same time, they have the last dam-free river in Europe, right? So part of the green journey is seeing, you know, 
every country has something unique to, to contribute in the fight that others can learn from. And every country still probably has something to learn from its neighbors. Some of the things you've seen, the cultural differences uh, towards trash or littering, for example, I've seen some, sometimes I just, I have like a montage of images now in my head from my travels. Just like, oh, that's kind of depressing how much garbage there is there one step at a time. Well, you mentioned kind of people being able to do their own part. Do you have any advice for just the individuals? Like, okay, I can't go on a three-year cross-continental <laughs> journey like you guys, but one or two things that people can do at home? Yeah. I think the biggest thing is figuring out where where your skill set is as, and you as your individual, right? And, um, you know, I always say also your career is one of the best ways for you to engage in, in climate because, you know, especially if you're from the States, right, or, or from one of these places where we, we work to live, right, and, or we live to work, right, rather, rather than we work to live, um, finding out how you can engage climate in your career can be a huge step, right? And it, it doesn't have to be, you know, switching jobs to go work for a renewables company. It can be just thinking about, you know, how to reduce the electricity consumption of your company by 10% each year, right? Um, so I think engaging your career is a, is a huge part of it. But second piece of advice is focus on what you feel passionate about. Um, if you are someone who is passionate about nature, right, and you're going to get that, that buzz from nature conservation in your area, you don't need to be the person who focuses on compost in your neighborhood, right? Pick, pick the thing that speaks to your heart that you're going to wake up in the morning and say, I'm excited to engage with this, whether it's using fewer carbon emissions on your next vacation, joining a local forest conservation organization, or if you're that person who gets excited about compost, right? Um, pick, pick what speaks to you and focus there. You, you don't have to do everything, but you should, should do what brings you energy. Okay. That's great advice. Yeah. Not everybody wants to chain themselves to a tree. No, exactly. And, and not everyone, not everyone can, right? I think that's, that's also something that, you know, and we've, we've met with a, quite a number of activists, right, on the road. And we've been in protests, right, but, you know, in front of the parliaments. And um, it's a really noble thing that they, they do. But sometimes I think it discounts the importance of scientists and the importance of business leaders. And, you know, this, this profile of kind of like the the young activist who is chaining themselves to a tree, it's, it's not the only person who has power. Right. And that, that I think is really important to remember. How are you enjoying nomad life? <laughs> I love it. I mean, it's a big change, right? Because before I was very much wake up at eight, work till eight, eat my lunch in front of the computer. Now I eat my lunch on the sidewalk, right? Freshly purchased from the grocery store. <laughs> Outside of the gas station. <laughs> Outside of the gas station, exactly. Um, so that's that's a big change. But I mean, it's it, it frees you to really challenge your perceptions of what what life can be, right? It doesn't have to be this nine to five every day um, you know, working towards the house and the dog and, and this type of thing. And you can always also go back to that, right? After, after having been a nomad for a while, as I'm sure you have, right? Like you're, you're settled comfortably in your studio no dog in Norway yet. right now. No dog No yet, dog. <laughs> Maybe someday. Like if you're thinking about it to, to kind of hit the road, you should do it, right? Because you never know what can get in the way between then. Um, and you can always, you can always go back. You know, I think there's, there is a sort of a perception like nomad, hitchhiking, bikepacking. If you had told me all these words, you know, three years ago before I started planning this trip, I would have said, oh, there's no way to, to get work done and hitchhike at the same time. But turns out you can, right? Um, so you, you got to be, make it work for you, right? You got to be open-minded to, to different types of making it work. Yeah, that's a great point. Just kind of not closing off to the possibility or making an assumption that if I do this, I can't do this. If I yeah. don't do this, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. I mean, I think that's a great place to end. That was a good call to action there. Just kind of like, 
hey, if, you, <laughs> if you're thinking about this, go do it, which seems to be the general consensus of the guests here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think the, the goal, right, is to, to get others to, to, to go out and do it, right? And um, I'm sure for, for listeners, right, it's, um, you know, I remember there were so many times where I would hear this story of someone who had done something crazy and amazing, Um like before I did the the JMT, I was always really inspired by that, the woman, Cheryl Strayed, who had done the, the PCT. And I remember just thinking, I could never do that. I could never take three months off work. I can do three weeks and that's where I started, but three months I can't. And mm. the next thing you know, I've decided to take three years changing <laughs> my life. But um, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, to that point, how did you break out? How did you get past that limiting belief? It took, it took a while, right? Um, I think for me, it was really realizing now or never. And I, I guess I have a unique motivator there with climate change, right? Because as you can see, see around us, right, every year it gets a little bit warmer, or you see more floods, or you, know, you hear, hear in the news, right, that things are, are changing around us. And so I was kind of like, if I don't do this ecologically engaged world tour now, it, it could be too late, right? Because 2030 is the year that we really need to hit a lot of marks, according to the Paris Agreement, in order to stay on the right track. So I was kind of thinking, this is this is my moment to to make this change. And, you know, I was in my office job working on wind and solar, and I knew I was making a change there, but I was saying I want to I want to do something bigger. I want to look outside just of this this box. And I want to think about the world's approach to climate change because, you know, also the United States, right, is a big country that matters a lot when it turns to climate change. We have about 45% of historical emissions, em emissions emitted to date, but it's not the only country where we need to see change to reach those 2030 goals. So I felt I could be a more educated traveler, worker, if I left now, right, and and got over that hump. So I just said to myself, now is the time, right? Um, yeah. It was unique with climate. Yeah, so in that case, I mean, your cause, but to kind of take the bigger picture, look at that, what you're saying is if you're, yeah, if you're struggling to break through from uh, of a limiting belief, let's say, perhaps looking outside of yourself, getting the strong why, finding something that's really driving you forward that's outside of yourself mm -hmm. in some yeah. ways could be could be the answer for yeah, somebody exactly. listening perhaps it helps i think it helps to have that strong why and to kind of yeah lean on that and remember well like yeah if you're designing things or working on something it's it's not about you you know in many ways it's about the people you serve and the mission and all that kind of stuff. It becomes easier to push forward, I think, when you have a strong mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It keeps you motivated, right? Even if yeah. you're stuck, you know, hitchhiking on the side of the highway in Spain, yeah. no one's picking you up or it's sun's beating down on your back, right? It's having your, your personal why, which is different for everybody, is the most, I think, powerful motivator for going on a big adventure or even a small one. Right. I mean, some of the stuff you're doing, it's not all rainbows and unicorns, as they say, right? I mean, yeah. biking in the middle of Greece in August is hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if, I don't know if cake cools you off really, but you know, it's worth a shot. No, not at all. Not at all. No, nor does the, the Utsu, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sorry you weren't able to make it up here. Wishing you the best on uh, on the rest of your journey. And yeah, stay in touch. I mean, let us know. You know, you guys are, say, about four four months in now? Yeah, four in? months in. Yeah. And you got another basically two and a half years. So I'd be curious to circle back and see, you know, in a year or two, how things are going and what you've learned and what things are happening. So I look forward to kind of staying in touch and keeping tabs on you guys. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for the time and for, for listening to our story. Thank you. There you have it. Thank you so much to Megan and the gang. I should say Polo, who didn't make it on the pod, but certainly along 
for all of the adventures over at thegreenjourney.org. You can check them out over there and we'll link up to their to their Instagram and all the good stuff here in the show notes if you want to check them out further. That motivator that she mentioned, the powerful motivator for going on any sized adventure, your personal why, I think there's a ton in that. It's not just travel related, right? When you can find a strong why for anything that can definitely carry you through it has at least for me it with business projects with parenting with uh, all sorts of things in life and i thought that was a beautiful way to close it out because it's just a great thing to remember sometimes i get a little lost on the on the why you know i have to go back to it i have to go back to it to help me uh, help carry me through something or i have to go back to establishing one for a new thing. It's just something that I personally need. I've never been one that can just, um, for example, start a business because I think it's going to make a lot of money. There has to be the strong personal why for me to really get me out of bed to work on something every day. And uh, I can leave it at that there. Maybe you want to take an inventory on your on your whys, whatever it is you're working on. I have no idea wherever this hits you. Thanks for being here. Super grateful for your presence here. Sign up over on the newsletter. I should remind you, zerototravel.com slash newsletter. We can keep a touch over there. I'm going to leave you with a quote on slowing down, which is something we talked about at the top and throughout this interview. Slow travel was a theme. And slowing down in general, I don't think ever a bad thing. Sometimes it's hard to slow down, isn't it? We can't stop, but it's nice to slow down. And I found a Chinese proverb that kind of says it all in a way i'll share that with you before i let you go it says quote be not afraid of going slowly be afraid only of standing still uh-huh. <laughs> thanks so much for listening and peace and love to you and yours i'll see you next time cheers this podcast has been brought to you by zero to ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality 